He's going to tell you things about his ministry and taking the, the story of the father's heart for life, all life, life of preborn children, life of handicapped people, life of the aged who are undervalued, life of people who are undervalued because of the tribe they're from or their ethnicity. And this is an organization that stands up for life in every situation, every guard, because we are made in the Father's image. Amen. I remember when Kurt first uh, uttered these words to me. He said, Marshall, you know, I believe that the, the reason that uh, Satan loves to go after the unborn is because they're God's image bearers. And it's their, the most personal way that he can attack God. He can't attack God directly, but he can attack God's image bearers and destroy life and he loves doing that. This is a man with tremendous insight spiritually, tremendous uh, experience in working in who knows how many countries and cultures around the world, and it's such a privilege to have him here with us tonight. Please welcome Kurt Dillinger. Well, good to be with you. Vero Beach Fellowship. Did I get that right? Oh, what a way to start out, you know? Pastor Greg, what is it? Vero, okay, let's, let's use the Bible word that's important there. Need to, I know, yeah, I'll, I will correct it in my mind right away. Uh, Vero Bible Fellowship. Vero Beach? Is it Vero Beach Bible Fellowship? Just Vero Bible. I love that. What does Vero mean anyway? I should know that. Truth. Truth. Is it really? Yes. Like Truth Beach? Well, not really. <laughs> See, this is my little effort of trying to connect with you. And, uh, we do fellowship real well. Yeah. Uh, well, do you, you really do it well. Fantastic. I want to be interactive, as you already kind of get right here. I want to be interactive and... And Marshall, really, uh, the weirder people are, the more intrigued I am with them. And so uh, that's, that's kind of what happened there. So. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, you have this guy running around here with his Michigan State shirt. Mike, where are you? Thank you, thank you, thank you. We, yeah, yeah, love you, man. Love you. I'm, yes, yeah. Uh, okay, here we go. Okay. So this is Michigan for you right here. That's the experience right there. It's probably Gators and what are the other ones? Seminoles? Something like that, right, that's going on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Pastor Greg, and taking the risk of having someone like me come. And then you have Marshall and Jessica, who kind of somehow began to love me and care for me, which is amazing. And the whole missions council Elder Board, it is so good to be with God's people, Amen. isn't it? I love being with God's people, and uh, like Tom this morning, just walking into your fellowship, you could tell immediately that God is with you. Boy, I love that. I love that. And uh, just to have the time together that you had this morning and to experience that together, God is with you. And he's working powerfully. And he's forming this work into what he has in mind, right? This is, this is his. Vero Bible Fellowship. 
And uh, I love what he's doing already in just almost three years. He works pretty rapidly sometimes if people are open. And if you're ready, look out because it just starts to take off. And I think that's what he's doing here. So thank you so much for allowing me to be with you. Now, um, this morning, you know, uh, the Lloyds had uh, this whole family presentation. And uh, I usually do that, but I forgot to put that in my PowerPoint. And so you can get to know the better parts. And I did find one, and Jessica was able to get one picture in for my wife here of 41 years. And she so wanted to be with you, yes. Um, the last five years, she's had a, a disease that's kind of attacked her joints, and uh, we're, we've just replaced her fourth joint. And so left shoulder, left hip, right knee, and in this past couple of weeks, her left knee. And so she wanted to be here, but just couldn't quite get into that coach seat and, uh, and just wasn't able to do it. But she sends her greetings. And the reason I put her picture up there is because I would not be doing today uh, what I'm doing if it had not been for her. And so she was the one that said, Kurt, you have to do this. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. I, I didn't even like what I'm doing right now. Uh, I, that's how far back I was, and I had to learn to love what God wanted me to love and to do what he wanted me to do. She was the first one to say, this is what you need to do. So that's what partners do. They have insight and wisdom. And so Gail, isn't she amazing? Isn't she beautiful? I, I just uh, love her so much and miss her, and uh, I get to meet her uh, every morning and uh, say something to her. So tonight, there's so much that we could talk about. There's so many things going on in our world today. And we could be here for several days and weeks and months and learn together about all that's going on. But I think I only have three hours, right? Is that what it is? <laughs> Give or take, three hours? No, seriously, you want me done by what time? 10 o'clock, okay, good, 10 o'clock, all right, so, 7.15, all right, now we're zeroing in, uh, 7.15, um, so I know that you know, Pastor Greg has a conviction about being a discipleship type church, and needing to disciple uh, all that attend and are involved, and I love that vision, go deeper, go stronger, and then release to go out. And so maybe tonight we can talk a little bit about some things you might have heard before, but uh, maybe not. I never know when I'm talking to people what is the perspective they might have of pro-life people. I remember just a couple of, of uh, years ago, I was invited to go into a, a big evangelical church to speak to the young professionals group, all the college and professionals who were in that church. And so I went into this group about like this, and my first question was, when you think of a pro-life person, what do you think? Guess what they said? Nothing positive for the first 20 minutes. Nothing positive. And then I finally said, well, are you for abortion or against it? Oh, we're against it. But they don't like pro-life people. And that was an image 
that was put into their mind from where? The media. And if you watch that enough, it does have an impact and it creates a perspective of what you think it is. So what is pro-life anyway? Where did it all begin? I'm gonna talk about that tonight. But I wanna do some interactive stuff. So here's what I'd like to have you do. Just for a couple of minutes here, some of you are gonna go like this. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not, no way am I doing that. <laughs> I love watching people when their arms go like this. <laughs> so I'm gonna watch you. Uh, so look at somebody next to you, okay? Just lock eyes with them for a minute. Somebody that you might already love, maybe not, but just look at them. Just look at them. Look at somebody next to you. All right, some, some tables might not have somebody, so do a three thing, do a three thing. Okay, look at the person, and this is what I want you to say to the person. Look at the person right now. Just look at them in the eyes and say, you are wonderfully made. That's good. You know what happens usually in every crowd? Kissing starts happening. Hugging starts happening. It's like Mary's therapy, 101, you know. It's like, here we go. Well, what did you just do? What did you just do? You took God's word and you proclaimed it to another human being. God's word, truth, being delivered to a receiver. And it's truth. It comes straight from his word. And it's like the other person's ears were already made to hear it. Their ears are ready to hear truth, life-giving truth. Simple things like this, I believe, are pro-life. Language is powerful. Words are used. They don't disappear. Have you ever did a study of where words go? And what does God, what did he mean when he created them? They're still going around out there. Once you say them, they go. Let's try it one more time. Look at that person in the eyes and say, God is madly in love with you, and so am I. So that kind of works well with the male and the females, but then when you do it male to male, it's kind of like, oh boy. But I, what did you just do again? Truth. Truth. So it's not verbatim, but it comes straight out of John 3.16. If you ever thought about it for a moment, that's the most pro-life verse in scripture, by the way. For God did what? So loved who? The world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have temporal life <laughs> i didn't get it by you man you guys are alert this is really good i love it yeah you know what uh, i have followed christ since six years old i still 
cannot get my arms around what Jesus did for me on the cross. Do you get it yet? What he did? That's a mad kind of love. Well, the Father sent his son to die for you and me in the cross. I want to talk more about that a little bit later. But being pro-life is taking these concepts and really living them out. And then tonight we'll talk a little bit about doing this and uh, bringing it into our homes. And that's where I'd like us to land sometime tonight is just not just with Life International and what we've been doing around the world, but bringing it right back into our homes and into our neighbors and into our states and wherever we might be going. This group of people in this room right here tonight can change the world. Do you believe that? That is definitely possible. And it's not because of who you are. It's because of who he is. He is able to do this and so much more than what you can imagine. He's an amazing God. And I love what he's doing throughout the world. So tonight I'm going to talk about the sanctity of human life. And then I'm going to talk about this global mission field created by the diminishing of human life. And then I'm going to talk about bringing it into your home. And then I'm going to invite you into prayer for where we're going around the world. And maybe I'll talk a little bit about Life International, um, which I think I probably should do a little bit of that. But let's just talk right now about what is the sanctity of human life. Going back to Genesis chapter 1, we get a picture of what sanctity of human life is all about. But in your own mind right now, as you think about it, what is the sanctity of human life? What is it? A respect of God's creation. Excellent. Any other thoughts? We're unique among creation. Interesting. Where do we get that from? Made in the image of God himself. Very good. So, when God created the stars, how did he do that? He spoke it. When God created the mountains, how did they come into being? He spoke it. When he created the duck-billed platypus, how did that creature come into being. He stuttered. He stuttered. <laughs> Can I use that? That's a good, I like that. I like that. It's very good. <clears throat> so when he created the oceans, how did they come into being? He spoke it. When he created the trees, he spoke it. All of the animal kingdom, he spoke it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Something shifted. What happened? When God created man, he formed him. He breathed. 
setting apart forever the rest of creation and humankind. So no matter what Disney has taught you, there's a big difference. The sacredness of human life was created because we're made in the image of a sacred being, a holy being, our creator, our God. Huge difference. And from that theology and from that basic understanding of creation of man and woman, how could we ever, ever, ever diminish another human being? As God's people, we understand this. And we have the opportunity to actually live it out and make a difference in our world. I can't tell you how many times a day I fail at this one thing. I might have a thought. I might have an action. I might have a word that diminishes rather than builds up, rather than is life-giving in nature. And the reason I would do that is because they're made in the very image of God himself, and he breathed life into them. This is uh, a teaching I think that I could probably preach the rest of my life and still wouldn't get the full meaning of it. So I, in, I invite you into the adventure of it, into the understanding of what did God do when he made us in his image? And how are we to behave with one another as a result of that? Don't you think if we really did that, that things would change around us? I think you'd just be a, another word for your title, contagious. People would flock to a place where they're valued and not diminished probably wouldn't hit the news very much just because the news is designed for the opposite. Now we're talking about being very different, going in a different direction. Let's talk about that little person in the womb for a second. There's basically three views of that little person. And some don't think that that little person is human at all, which gives them total freedom to do whatever. And uh, that happens throughout history, by the way. When you start talking about people groups as not human, you can do anything to them. And you don't feel bad. Same thing would be a view of partial human. It's just partially human, not fully developed yet. Maybe not in the mind, maybe not in the body, whatever. It's just partially human. You still got a lot of freedom to do whatever you want there. Or you have a view that the person in the womb, that little person, is fully human. Now, why would we have that view? It goes back to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. We are made in his very image. God says so. Fully human. Made in his image. So don't let this world influence the way you think about that little person in the womb. I call that little person a person. Personhood. That's the big debate, by the way, today. So you could be 90 
and not be a person anymore, and you could eliminate your life. Or you can be in the womb and not be a person yet. You know, Peter Sanger would say, who is the ethicist out of Harvard, is you're not a person until 18 months old, after birth. This is the world we live in today. So as God's people, we have what the world is hungry for, the value of all human life, including that little person in a womb. Let me just show you one more picture on this one here. This is my grandson. He was called a micro preemie. He was born at 23 weeks. He was in a hospital for 210 days. And he's still struggling. He's got a tracheotomy. He's 18 months old now, and he has a feeding tube because things haven't developed the way they needed to. So I was amazed at all the nurses, all the medical staff, everybody, every single day, 24 hours a day, in the hospital, paying attention to every single detail of his life. There were monitors for everything. There were monitors for the monitors. Everything was electrified. I mean, it, the whole room was just filled with things taking care of him, plus all of the people. And I'm observing and watching all of this. And the Lord really spoke to me. He says, Kurt, look at what's going on here. And I observed all of that activity and all of that caregiving, all of that uh, stuff that really helped him stay alive for those early weeks. That's what you're supposed to do with every person that you meet. What, Lord? Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to the details of the people around you, the people you come in contact with. See, in my mind, in my heart, he's always forming. What does it mean to be pro-life? What does it mean? And it means that kind of thing. Because why? We're made in his image. And he is so, he's our God. And he's calling us to pay attention to him in every detail. And he is worthy of that because he is holy. And he is saying, I made everybody in my image. Now you pay attention to the details of their life and speak into it, just like these medical people are doing in your grandson. There's a Dr. Seuss concept here, by the way. I do like a lot of Dr. Seuss stuff, but he had this one little phrase, a person is a person no matter how small. And I believe the church, the church has an opportunity to think of persons in a larger way. There are no small people in the fellowship, right, Pastor Greg? No small people. I was watching a little Down syndrome child today in your fellowship. I just wanted to hang out with him. Don't you? There are no small people. No small people. So that's just a little primer, and um, there's a lot more we can talk about here. 
But I just invite you into the journey to explore more. What does the Father have in mind for you on a daily basis of being a, a life-giving person? What does it look like? Primarily, if you're married, in your marriage. I get to wake up every morning and see my wife next to me. I could say a couple words to her. I could wake up and look at her and she's right there, you know. I'm not going to go too much detail here, but just enough for you to get the idea. And she's breathing and I can, I can smell her breath. And I can say, oh, what sweet breath you have, Gail. I can look at her hair and I go, oh, I love your hair. Where did you get that done? <laughs> you know, I, I could choose to do this, right? I, I mean, she's shaking her head over like, ah, no, you're not doing that. I have trained myself to do this. Why? I mean, I could say, would you go and brush your teeth before we talk? <laughs> go fix your hair. What's wrong with you? Couldn't I? So one way is life-giving, one way is life-taking. It's as simple as that. I mean, that is basic uh, living out what I'm talking about here. It starts right there every single day. I mean, can you be life-giving to God, do you think? If you think about that centurion who had his servant cared for by Jesus, don't even come to my house. Just say the word. Bam, it's done. And Jesus says, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. Don't you think that ministered to Jesus? That centurion was a life giver to Jesus. I think we're called to do that. To please him. To bring joy to his heart. All right. I told your pastor I wasn't going to preach tonight, so I'm going to just keep moving along here. And uh, I'm going to talk now about the global mission field created by abortion. So we're recognizing that little person in the womb. I'm going to put it into missions terminology tonight because this is a missions conference. And so we'll use some uh, missiology language here. And I'm going to talk about that little person in the womb as a hidden people group. And I'm going to talk about that little person as a persecuted people group. And I'm going to talk about that little person as an unreached people group. And you'll see the numbers here in just a moment. But I'm trying to, when I use language like this, I'm trying to rehumanize what our world has tried to dehumanize. Whatever we think about that little person in the womb has probably been distorted by that dehumanizing process of the language that's used in our world, in this particular culture, by the way. And so by putting some other language in there, it helps us think a little bit different about that little person in the womb. They are indeed a hidden people group. Probably until about the second term, then you start seeing a bump in the womb, and then it gets bigger. But other than that, you don't see that little person. And then I'm going to talk about at what level is that little person persecuted in our world, and that they are unreached 
And the way to reach them is by reaching their moms. And when you do that, they both come to Christ. And I'll talk about that a little bit tonight. But the global perspective on abortion is um, maybe a number you're not familiar with. Uh, in the United States, there's 1.2 million abortions every single year on record. Around the world, there's 52 to 56 million every single year on record. Now, you just need to understand as well, there are a lot of abortions happening off record in this country as well as around the world. You could easily double these numbers. There are 62 nations around the world right now that have below birth replacement rates, meaning that more people are dying than being born into those countries, so they're disappearing. Japan is there, and it's irretrievable. They will never get back to reproduction again at this point. They'll disappear. Villages throughout Europe are disappearing. They're gone because of this. Romania has one of the highest abortion rates in the world. Georgia, one of the highest abortion rates in the world. Uh, President Putin, by the way, understood this, and guess what he did? Because Russia was disappearing, going away, what did he do? He started restricting abortion, and he created a new holiday. Do you know what it's called? The Day of Conception. So guess what everybody does? <laughs> they look into each other's eyes, and they say loving words, <laughs> and it moves into the next thing. And there's population growth in Russia now. And the first child, nine months later, is celebrated on national media. It's gotten pretty contagious. He's reversed the trend in Russia for all the wrong reasons. I mean, when you have a lot of people, you have an economy because you have workers. Plus, you have an army. So he's sinking down the road. And that's what he's doing. It's amazing. A lot of countries aren't buying it. They're going the other way. So you see population shifting going on right now in France, Germany, Italy, all the European countries are starting to disappear. You won't find any French people in a while. You will find an influx of the Muslim world moving into France, moving into Germany, moving into England, and it's changing the whole demographics of those countries because the French stopped having children. The Germans stopped having children. The English are stopping having children. Other people groups are not stopping having children. Do you know what silent jihad is? Populating the earth. It's interesting, isn't it? Dig into it. Study it. Find out for yourself. You can find this stuff out. It's all out there on the web. You can, you can learn about it. Just look at common demographics and what's happening in our world today. It's done a lot in the missions world. We study this all the time, and we try to figure out um, what's happening with trends and how can we reach people groups. Now, just to help this sink in a little bit further, I want to do an illustration with you. I'm going to have my dear friend Marshall come up. He's going to help me with this. And this time, uh, you're not going to look into each other's eyes. You're going to close your eyes. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, by the way, and just listen. Just listen to this illustration. And what this is going to talk about is um, 
what's happening around the world with just abortion by itself. And so one of these little BBs that are dropped now, I want you to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes and just listen. Use your ears. Use your ears. Wonderful, wonderful little baby back there making her or his self known. That's great. Close your eyes. Marshall, you dropped just one. That was two. Each BB represents 100,000 lives lost. And that little illustration right there that Marshall just did, that was 200,000 human lives lost. So think about that now. Keep your eyes shut until this whole thing is done. I want you to have the full impact of this. This first illustration are the lives lost during the genocide in Africa in the nation of Rwanda in 1994. This next illustration, these are the lives lost during the genocide in the Asian nation of Cambodia in 1970. In this next illustration, these are the lives lost globally due, the, due to COVID-19 over this past year. This next illustration is the lives lost during the Holocaust under Hitler. These are the lives lost in this next illustration in the Soviet Union under Stalin. This last illustration will give us an idea of the depth and the breadth of how prevalent abortion is around our world over the past 10 years.
can open your eyes. So, an attempt to try to describe a global mission field created by abortion. All of those little people losing their lives every year. 56 million. I usually ask the question, where do you think most of the abortions in the world occur? And uh, most of the time people say the United States because they're not really thinking it is happening anywhere else. But uh, here's a, just one way of showing in a pie diagram where a lot of the abortion is taking place. And you can see in Asia, the majority, which includes China. And then you have Eastern Europe is a big one. And then Africa, and then Latin America, and the Caribbean. And then Australia, Canada, Japan, New Zealand, and the US put together, and then Western Europe. So here we see um, that Asia really is a mission field in a very, very large way. But every nation on earth is impacted by this, every single nation. Uh, this gives you a little idea of what one chart uh, talked about in 1999, so it's changed since then. But um, it's really um, changing every single year, different countries. But as an example, Vietnam at that time was the highest in the world. And the United States at 22. The United States stays around 22, 2022 against a lot of other nations uh, in the world. And so um, oftentimes countries that have been under uh, communist regimes have had very, very high abortion rates. But it's changing. And as world population control um, initiatives continue to grow, uh, one of the bigger influences of all of this uh, is uh, one, an American, uh, Bill Gates. And, uh, they are very concerned about population growth and they want to green the earth and they would like to get population down from, do you, get, you know where it is today? How many people on earth? Any wild guess? Seven billion. Uh, and these guys in the population control world want to bring it down to two billion. So how do you do that? Well, they got lots of plans for that and uh, bringing humanity down to a level where the humans are not, no longer having carbon blueprint everywhere and, and the plants can grow and other animals can grow and, and then two billion people is what the earth can sustain forever. And so that's the target. You can dig into this, you can find this information out by yourself and it, it's all right there, it's written down, the plan. And so you withhold medical services and uh, you might create medical needs. I don't know, there's all kinds of things that can happen. Abortion is a big part of this whole thing. So in response to all of this, and thank you again, Marshall, for your assistance there. That's a powerful illustration. Uh, you probably wanted it just to end, didn't you? I do too. And so does the father. So for that moment, when you're hearing all of that, just, just imagine what the Father's observing and seeing continually to his images, to his creation.
the ones that he sent his son to die for. So I, I am compelled to bring truth to that mission field. And I'm inviting all of you to pray about it and think about what God might have for you. At Life International, we are at the, currently impacting 129 nations. Our goal is to impact all 198 sovereignties. That's what the UN recognizes, 198 nations. And so what we do at Life International is we connect with movement leaders in these nations and we equip them and we train them on the sanctity of human life. We teach them what the design is for man, the design for woman, the design for family. We talk about um, from conception to birth. You might be in a setting of people like this in Africa someplace, and a lot of them have no clue in how conception occurs. And then you start talking about all these millions and millions of sperm swimming up the channel to find an egg. And only one of those lucky guys gets to connect with that egg. And the rest of them immediately get sealed off. Human life begins. And they are amazed. And they go, how can that happen? Well, they start to understand there's a designer. There's a God. When does the heart begin to beat, by the way? Anybody know? A few days? Well, a few days is relative, so how many weeks? Four weeks. Four weeks in the womb. Ba-boom, 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 ba-boom. Four weeks after conception. In the Asian world, oftentimes, an age of a person starts when? At conception. I love that. I just love that because they're recognizing the humanity from day one. <clears throat> I love that. So we teach this. Simply, here's how conception happens. This is when it begins. It's when the heart starts to function, the lungs. This is when your toenails show up. This is when your hair shows up. All the way down to the day of delivery. And we go through that whole process. And every single one of the leaders that we work with, all of them are just going there. This is amazing. This is a miracle. And a couple things happen every single time. They're in awe of God. Because they are in awe of the miracle-making God. This is a miracle that has just taken place. They're in awe of him. And then all of a sudden remorse sets in because they begin to understand what they have been part of and they didn't even know it. Because abortion is rampant around the globe. That becomes a moment of repentance and transformation and they are changed forever. They are changed forever. Let me just briefly talk about who originated the pro-life movement. So it wasn't Dr. Wilkie, it wasn't Dr. Dobson, I love the guy. Uh, it wasn't Life International, by golly. It wasn't us. Uh, but God, nearly 2,000 years ago, maybe more, a different perspective on the pro-life movement is I think that there are um, a, a missing piece. Um, God's pro-life movement is kingdom-focused, and it's saving babies and souls. 
healing broken lives resulting in the expanding of God's kingdom, the world's pro-life movement is issue-focused in saving babies and ending abortion. Now, that's not a bad idea, but it's not the full deal. You cannot separate the gospel and the sanctity of human life. So at, at Life International, we are training these leaders all over the globe might have the gospel down, but they don't have anything, they don't have any idea what the sanctity of human life is about. You put those two things together, it becomes a dynamic that you cannot stop. They begin to understand that that disabled person in their village really has value all of a sudden. How do we love them? How do we care for them? The whole idea, you might have an idea about, I just big Maasai pastor one time come up to me and he says, Pastor Kurt, I've got a problem. I said, what is it? He goes, I beat my wife. I go, well, what's the problem? And he goes, well, I thought you told me not to do that. Well, why did I tell you that? He says, I don't know. She doesn't know, she doesn't know that I love her unless I beat her. And I said, well, let's talk about this. So we sat down and said, can you imagine the Lord Jesus beating your wife? No. I mean, these Maasai guys are big and tall and they have these deep voices. I can't do it. He's kind of frightening. No. Jesus would never beat my wife. Well, then why do you? Simple things like that. We are to be like the Lord Jesus to the world around us and in our marriages. So God's pro-life movement is kingdom-focused. you got this idea out there of building the kingdom by leading people to Jesus Christ through the mission field created by abortion. So I would say the most profound pro-life initiative that ever took place is John 3.16. The pro most profound pro-life pro initiative ever to take place in the history of mankind is when God sent his son to die for you and me on the cross. Now that is the pro-life mission that I have joined. And that's the one worth joining because it has lasting power to it and strength. And it has an impact on everybody that you meet. So I'm going to zoom through this real quick here and get over to this one right here, John 10, 10. Another important verse, which is, the thief comes only to do what? Steal, kill, that's a very good description of abortion, by the way. But I have come to bring life and to bring it minimally. Abundantly. All of you are feeling abundantly full of life right now, right? It's uh, 7, almost 7.15. God's people, abundant life. That's what we bring to the world around us. You know, what's with the long faces? Where is that joy that he brings to us? Where is it? It's for us. He's, he's right there saying, here, here, take this. And we get to bring this to a world that I think is desperately in need of it. They're hungry for that kind of thing. People who really do believe in what they say they believe in are contagious. And joy uh, is, is something that can come even in the midst of suffering. We see it all the time. 
Because it's not human made. It's, it's made by our creator. And that's the thing that people are hungry for. So John 10.10 10 is, is profound in how it has such a huge focus for us in our day and time. I'm going to zoom ahead here because my time is almost totally out. But uh, I have a couple stories I want to convey to you. And then I have a little video for you. I think you got the main idea of what I was trying to do. I wanted to say this real quick here, though. The TSL of life, which is thinking life, it's speaking life, and it's living life. And this is where uh, I'm hoping in your fellowship, when you come uh, out of this meeting tonight, that you will have um, a... Um, an idea of what it really means to be a pro-life person. And it, and it is actually to be like Jesus. You might have heard other people say that before, but it actually is. And you have to think, oh, what does that mean? Well, I need to begin to think like Jesus. So that person who's at that stoplight in front of you, okay, and, and, they are, and they're still there when it goes to green. And then it goes to yellow again, and then it goes to red. You know, and, and then it does actually go to green again, and then it goes to yellow, and they pull out, and then you're coming to the red. What do you think about that person? What are your thoughts? I don't know what they are. I don't want to tell you what. I, I just thinking that. It starts with our thinking. And we need to have redemptive thoughts about other people, other human beings. Speaking life, then. And maybe if you had a moment to pull up alongside them at the next light, what would you say to them? What would your words be? Would it be something you can't repeat right now? Or would it be, are you okay? Is everything all right? I'm praying for you right now. And then living life, taking action. This, these kind of things change your world. All right, so I'm going to move right forward on here, going on down. All right, going past all of this. What? Why did I have all this? And Okay, here we go. Let me tell you this story. This little woman here, Joyce. Both her parents died of HIV-AIDS. They uh, had grandparents living in the home as well, and both grandparents died of HIV-AIDS. When that happens in Zambia, the children are then given over to the next relative. The next relative was her dad's brother. And so they ended up in his home with his family. And normally, uh, that's not a very pleasant experience because they are not his kids and that becomes a hardship, so they became slaves. She and her brother became slaves for years in the home. Now, her form of slavery was different than her brother's in that she became a sexual object for her uncle. So she was sexually abused over and over and over again. After a few years of that, she became pregnant. And the aunt came to her and said, you 
have brought shame on this home. You need to go and kill yourself. Throw yourself into the river and be consumed by crocodiles. Now, to us, that seems horrific. To Joyce, it was a relief. She said, this is my way out. So she was heading down the path through the jungle to the river to kill herself and the baby. It just so happens on that same path was someone that we had trained at Life International. And this person that we trained saw her coming through the jungle, saw that she was very distraught, and struck up a conversation and said, what's the matter? Can we talk? She was reluctant at first, but then began to talk to this person. As they talked for the next three hours, Joyce learned about someone who loved her, the Lord Jesus, and she accepted him into her life. At the same time, she learned about the little person in her womb, and she decided to keep that life. Once later, she delivered Abraham, you see him there. The story of redemption. There are literally millions of these stories around the world. That's what's happening today. This is one. I had an opportunity to go back and to see her uh, just, uh, an, I think, a year after, maybe less than that, after Abraham was born. And I sat down with her, and I said, what? Uh, are your needs, Joyce? What do you need? And she says, well, I would really like a house. And I thought, oh boy, here's a price tag for you. I said, well, how much is a house? And she said, well, it's $100. I made an executive decision that day. And she got a house. It's just a bunch of bricks and a, a thatched roof, and she has her own house. I said, what else do you need, Joyce? And she says, well, I really would like a business. I thought, oh, boy, that's going to be costly, too. But she's a pretty smart lady. I says, okay, what, what does that mean? She says, well, I want, I want to buy a bunch of big pieces of coal, and I want to break it up into smaller pieces and sell it for profit. And I says, well, that's a good investment. How much is that? $100. So I made another executive decision that day. Small things like that change lives. She's thriving today. Abraham is eight years old. She named him Abraham for this purpose, that he would be raised to reach his generation for this Jesus that loved her so much. That's how it begins. One last story is, as I close here, and then I'll show you a video. Uh, we had a friend in Cambodia who got trained and was going through uh, the effort of reaching others with this message. And, there's lots and lots and lots of villages throughout Cambodia. And so he ended up in one village, and he was announced ahead of time that he was coming, and then 120 Buddhist women decided to show up. Just women, no men, just women. Cambodia has a depletion of men, by the way, because of Pol Pot. He eliminated a lot of men. And so this village had 120 women, and uh, there's some men there, but none of them came to this meeting. And he decided, in, in through the, all the tools we gave him, he was going to take two pieces. He was going to take the miracle of life, explaining from conception to birth uh, what happens, 
And then he was going to do an invitation to meeting the God who creates life. And that's what he did. He did a whole presentation for a couple of hours of conception to birth, and then he asked the question, because they all were kind of in awe of this, this process of, of birth. And uh, his question was, would you like to meet the God who did this? And he gave a full gospel presentation, and all 120 women accepted Christ that day. That's a change village. Now, we could be here all night. I can tell you story after story after story of this stuff. A simple combination of the value of human life and the gospel does miraculous things in people's lives. I'd like to um, do a quick prayer here, and then I'll show you a bit, uh, an invitation to pray for Life International through a little video. So bow your heads with me as I close in prayer. Father, I desire more than ever that your name would be exalted and your kingdom expanded through me, through Vero Bible Church, through their words and actions, Lord. Transform us tonight. Transform us into your image. By your grace and power, we choose to speak and act like you, Jesus. I ask for your power, sustaining strength to continue to be a voice of life in my own home as well as in my world. Oh, that my voice would only speak words of life to everyone I meet, to everybody I speak to, but most importantly, to my wife and to you and my children. Make my home a place full of life. Make my life a living reflection of you to others. I ask for the protection for the most innocent and vulnerable of your creation, the preborn person. Grant me the courage to never be shy of speaking up for them. O oh Lord, for your own name's sake, change me into your man or woman for your glory. I have such glaring limitations and imperfections. I've also experienced some successes. I'm such a mixture of both. I bring my failures and successes to you at the altar today and say to you, here I am, take me, mold me, and send me. You have my allegiance and my love, Lord. Amen. You shaped me first, inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit. How I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life, all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Every year, 
200 million children are conceived worldwide, yet a quarter of them lose their lives to abortion. That's more than 50 million preborn lives ended every year. This is an unprecedented human tragedy and an assault on those who bear God's image. As followers of Christ, we must unite to proclaim God's heart for the preborn and for all people. In the fall of 2023, Life International will convene the Global Congress for Life on the island of Malta. For three days, delegates from every nation on earth will gather to pray, worship, and rejoice in God's redemptive plan of abundant life. As Christian leaders, we'll repent of our participation in abortion and then testify to God's faithfulness through stories of lives saved, both physically and spiritually. And then we'll ask God to reveal what he would have us do to uphold the value of life in the nations. At the heart of the gospel is the truth that our Heavenly Father loves people so much that he gave his only son to save us. Jesus Christ is the only hope for humanity. And for the past 20 years, Life International has been on a mission to carry this good news into the world. The Global Congress for Life will amplify this message on a worldwide scale. Brothers and sisters will lock arms, making known the Father's heart for life throughout the whole world. We're asking God to go before us, to prepare the way, seeking His guidance as we make plans, and asking Him to reveal His plans for the Global Congress for Life. Please join us in laying a firm foundation of prayer for this monumental gathering, and through it, to bring life and healing to the whole world in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you very much for your time tonight. And uh, please consider praying for this initiative. It'll be the first time ever that this kind of meeting has taken place where champions for life from every nation on earth will gather. And uh, we need your prayers. God bless you. Thank you, Kurt. You can see Kurt's heart. You can see how God has wired him and why he's a guy who would uh, show care and love for someone like me who he just met and how that impacted me when I met him and, uh, and how he's taking that message of, of love, God's love for every person who's made in his image all over the world. I'd like to, to uh, summarize a couple of things that I know about Kurt and about this ministry based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They're based in Grand Rapids, that's where their headquarters is. They don't do any work inside the USA. Everything they do is outside of the USA and these other countries where the rest of those 52 million abortions a year are taking place. I just wanted to make that clear. I wanna summarize a couple of things, but I wanna go fast, and I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions, and, uh, and I'm gonna ask my wife, who is an expert at this, to set her timer to three minutes with an alarm at the end, and then I'll be done. Fair enough? Okay. Uh, 
first thing I want to tell you is that uh, this information that Kurt has delivered to us tonight, their teams, many, many teams, there's one in Africa right now, uh, a team of people, has go, they go out all over the world and do these multi-day trainings. How long are the training journey of a life giver? Five day long trainings, all day long, a resident training where they gather people from a country together and take them through this material we've heard tonight, but in an expanded way over five days, teaching the theology, teaching the biology. During that time, they give these people this little rubber model of a fetus. Now, to you, that might just seem like silly or maybe a little creepy even. But to them, as they're learning, for the many of them, for the first time ever in their life, learning about the process of gestation and fetal development, they hold that thing. I've seen pictures and movies of these guys with, with people in Africa and other countries holding this little fetal model and realizing for the first time, here's one right here, uh, realizing for the first time that this is what a fetus is. This is the life growing inside of them, and it's transformational. And that's part of the message that they take. Out of this, their goal is to see in each one, by the way, how many approximately Journey of a Life Giver trainings has this organization done in the last 21 years? Thousands, I don't know. Okay, so you get the picture. In how many countries? What we have done, others are doing, they're multiplying it out. So it's even right now. The curriculum is printed, so it doesn't have to be the team from Grand Rapids teaching them. It multiplies itself. Going all Thousands of these trainings with hundreds of thousands of people who've been trained. Out of these trainings, one of the goals is that the people, when their heart is transformed, they will start what these guys call life-giving ministries. Now, it would be impossible to fund going into every country around the world and setting up crisis pregnancy centers like we have here in Vero Beach with CareNet. It would cost too much to do that. And so they go and do, the, do these trainings, and they encourage the people as part of the training to establish in their own culture some kind of a life-giving ministry. Any idea how many life-giving ministries are going on around the world from people who took the journey of a life-giver training class? impossible to even count. Do you get the scope of what's going on here? These are people who, they, they do it in their own village or in their own city, in their own way. They fund it themselves if it even needs any funding because it's just somebody who's doing this work of spreading the message of life all over the world, and that's what happens. Okay, I bet my timer's about to go off, so one more thing I want to touch on, and that is what they call champions for life. They have divided the world into how many regions? Ten regions, they call them hubs. In each region, they have divided the, the countries in that region. In each one of those countries, their goal is to identify somebody who God has already established and planted in their mind a love for life, who is already a champion for life, and they then train this person and, and, and equip them to be an influencer. Turn that thing off. I'm not done. <laughs> to treat train them to be an influencer so that they can continue to expand these life-giving ministries in their nation. Okay, so 150, 129 countries right now you're in? 129. And they have identified, I've seen a video that has picture after picture after picture of 129 individuals in 129 countries who have already agreed to serve as a champion for life in their nation. And their desire is by the end of 20, well, by the end of 21, we're going to have 198. So by the end of this year, to have a champion for life established and operating in every one of 198 nations. And then those are the people who are going to meet in Malta in this video that you just saw a minute ago. 
for this Global Congress for Life, then they, at that meeting, will, we believe, become so energized by what God is doing through them, they'll go back out into the world and they'll multiply all over again. Does that make sense? Okay, so Kurt did a great job of telling us this message of life tonight and showing us his heart and how this organization runs. And we know these guys. We, we even know their budgets and we know their staff. These guys are for real. They operate lean. I'm so proud to be able to be a part of them. And I just wanted to make sure you get tonight the scope of what they do because it's huge. It's tremendous. And here's the bottom line. I'll close with this. God has given us, Bureau Bible Fellowship, the honor and the privilege of doing small things to equip them to go out and do this. So we have a part in this work. He and his team, people like the guy who, Congo. oh, Congo, but no, the, um, it, you can just keep saying names, Nugo, that's the one I was thinking of. These people all over the world who are out there doing this work, they're an extension of Euro Bible Fellowship. People like uh, Abraham, who was rescued from the crocodiles, are an extension of Euro Bible Fellowship. This is our privilege. Now, what's our responsibility? To pray for these guys, to pray for what they're doing, and ask God to continue to equip them and bless them. Does that make sense? Man, thanks for being here, Kurt. God bless you. Tomorrow night, a whole other thing. Mike Williams, Christian comedian, who God impressed on the need to go out and help these people in the Dominican Republic who live and work in the city dumps. And uh, he's going to be here tomorrow night to tell us more about Crossover Cups, another ministry that our church financially and with our prayers, with our budget, we support and equip them to go. So come and hear what your people out there are doing in the Dominican Republic tomorrow night at 630 in this room. Anything else we need to do? Great. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for your blessing on Kurt Dillinger. We pray for Gail, his wife, who's back at home. We pray for complete healing. Father, we pray for his family. We pray for his staff. We pray for those people who in Grand Rapids, Michigan, are, are going to work tomorrow morning to keep moving forward on this. The ones who are in Africa right now, teams who will be becoming more active again once COVID starts to dissipate and going out around the world and doing this work. Thank you for the internet and Zoom meetings that have allowed all of this work to not just keep going, but even accelerate during this past year. God, those are miracles of your grace. Thank you that we can have a part in it. We ask for your blessing on him, on his work, and on this group of people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One more thing. I've got to tell you this. This, this is awesome. In Grand Rapids, Michigan, where their headquarters is, remember, they don't do any work in Grand Rapids or in the United States. It's all outside of this country. But their, their world headquarters, or their, I say world headquarters, they have how many staff that work there? Uh, 15. 15 staff, who is very, very efficient. 15 staff in the USA who are doing all of this through their work and influence around the world. But the building that they occupy was years ago uh, a Jewish synagogue, right? And then it became an abortion clinic, the biggest abortion clinic in the region. The biggest ab abortion clinic in the region. And then, as God continued to work, it became the headquarters of Life International. They bought the building. And, uh, it, and, and here's the best part of the story. Guess what the name of the street is that this building is on? Ransom Street. 
Isn't that amazing? I mean, you start to get to know these guys and the miracles just keep showing up and the things that God has done to make them what they are. I wanted to leave you with that because it's fun and it's encouraging and that's what God does. God bless you. Say goodbye and hello to Kurt. There's some books over here from our guys this morning. See you tomorrow night.